Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Fellowship Podcast. We hope this message will inspire, challenge, and encourage you to grow closer to Christ. If you're in the Anchorage area, we invite you to be our guest during our morning Sunday worship service at 11 a.m. For directions, or if you would like more information about us, please visit akmaranatha.com. All right, hey, let's go in our Bibles to Second Chronicles chapter 20. It's good to have Kenzie Bierkin with us. And she's a missionary to Africa. I'm going to allow her to talk about that. I think she'll probably be with us later this fall, hopefully. So it's good to see you. All right. Thank you. All right, Second Chronicles 20. Uh, most of the time we know... We know kind of what to pray for, don't we? Like most of the time, uh, would you allow me uh, that generalization that we know kind of what to pray for uh, a lot of the time or some kind of sense of where we should go. We know to pray for things like um, God's forgiveness and uh, Jesus said we should pray uh, that he would give us today our daily bread. I, I was studying this week and I found out that when you pray the Lord's Prayer, you're actually praying imperatives to the Lord. And, of course, we don't command God, but when we pray that way, we're entreating Him. And so we ask for forgiveness, and, and we're, we're entreating Him for forgiveness, for Him to provide for us. Uh, we know when we're sick, we should pray for healing, right? We expect that God will heal us. Um, we pray for Him to deliver, sustain, help, etc. And uh, we know what to pray for. And and sometimes I think it's okay for us to pray very general prayers, like if we don't know how to pray, to pray, Lord, help. I don't know exactly how to pray for this, but you know what I need, and you know better than I do, and I'm just calling upon you to answer in this particular area of need. And, uh, you know, being Pentecostal, we believe that you can you can uh, trust the leadership of the Holy Spirit to help us to pray for things that are greater than our understandings. We pray in the Spirit. We we believe that the Holy Spirit prays the perfect will of God. And so we can trust that the Spirit knows exactly how to pray and that we entrust our, our voice to Him and our mouth to Him, and He, he knows exactly uh, what to do and how to pray through us, and great things can be accomplished because we know when we pray uh, according to His will, He hears us and He answers. Aren't you thankful for that? Like We have the assurance He hears us and He answers. And there are times that we will... We will uh, Know that we need to, uh, after we pray, we need to get up and talk to somebody or um, throw away our idols or stand believing together with other believers or whatever it may be as we pray. Um, but the most important thing in any difficulty that we ever go through is to know where to turn. It's more important that we know who we're praying to than what to pray. Would you agree with that? Like that we're talking to the right person who has the answers. And, Sometimes um, we try everything else before turning to God in prayer. Now, if you've ever been that way, like the prayer is the last resort. And uh, how many know that's really not the way that it should be? That we ought to we ought to pray about things first and and respond however we feel that God is leading us. And when the problem's really big, we can uh, spin our wheels trying to figure out something that works. But it helps to know that God has a vested interest in us. And by sacrificing Christ for us, he's shown that he who, who did not spare his own son, but freely gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him 
freely give us all things. He's good, and he's able to work the work that we need. And so we are his people. He cares about us. And, uh, and so I would just ask the question tonight, when the problem comes, where are our eyes? Where do we have our eyes? What are we focused upon in times like that? Where are your eyes? Let's look at Second Chronicles chapter 20, and you'll see that uh, a king, Jehoshaphat, is leading his army into battle and uh, tells us the Moabites and the Ammonites with some of the Munites, this is verse 1, came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. Some people came and they told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea, and it's already in Hazazan Tamar, that is, in Gedi. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all of Judah, and the people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. And then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the new courtyard, and he said, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? That's a, an interesting question to ask in prayer, but you realize that there's more of a statement in that. You, you rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it to uh, give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They've lived in it and have built in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress, and you will hear us and save us. Does anybody know what this uh, this prayer kind of reminds us of? Does it remind you of any other occasion like this? Anybody? What about uh, when Solomon dedicates the temple? He's in the temple, and he's he's calling upon the Lord, and it's... It's there that it said that if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. Solomon calling upon the Lord in dedication at the temple. And we get something kind of like that here, that he's recognizing that if we'll stand in your presence and and call upon your name, that you will hear us and save us. And I suggest to you that what Jehoshaphat is doing is he's praying in accordance with the promises of Scripture. And that's so important that we we understand that we're not just praying into the great void and reaching out for something we don't know whether uh, that force will hear us. And I use that word intentionally. Um, we're not praying like that. We're praying to the God we know. We're praying according to promises that he's given us. We're praying, hopefully, according to his will. And that should give us some confidence. Verse 10, look at what it says there. Now here are men from Ammon, Moab, Mount Sair, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. Why is that? Anybody remember why that is? We're pausing here for a little bit of a history lesson from the the Bible. Yeah, Sierra. Okay, so Esau. What about Moab and Ammon? What's significant about them? Who's their father? That's Lot, who is Abraham's nephew, right? So these are, this is within the family of Abraham. And when Israelites went into the land, God said, they're your relatives, and so don't, don't, don't go to war with them. Now, later on, um, 
when those nations rose up against Israel, God repaid them. But in this moment, he's telling them, from your point of view, from your stance, from your uh, behavior, do everything you can to do what's right. And now Jehoshaphat is, is recalling that. He said, you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. And so they turned away from them and did not destroy them. See how they're repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession that you gave us as an inheritance. Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. All the men of Judah with their wives and children and the little ones stood before the Lord. And then the Spirit of the Lord came on Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah, a Levite, and a descendant of Asaph, as he stood in the assembly. And he said, listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours but God's. Tomorrow, march down against them. They will be climbing up by the pass of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jeruel. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your position, stand firm, and see the deliverance of the Lord. The deliverance of the Lord will give you, you Judah, and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out and face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. That's interesting. Sometimes we hear the verse like this, the battle is the Lord's and not yours, and we want to make a, that to be the absolute. And understand, always the battle is the Lord's. Would you, would you agree with that? If you're trusting in Him, if you're fighting His battles, if you're walking with Him, the battles are the Lord's. Does God always do all the work? Huh? No. Sometimes He expects us to go to battle. Like, He didn't clean Sandra's house. Like, an answer to prayer. She had to get up and work with the Lord and cooperate with Him to accomplish that. And, um, and we and we have to do the same thing in some of our battles. God says in one instance, I'm taking care of this one. Stand back and see the salvation of the Lord. In other battles, he says, rise up and I will give you the power to overcome. In both cases, the power is the Lord's, the victory is the Lord's. But at times, he expects our cooperation. I think that salvation is kind of like this, that salvation is God's work. Do you agree? Okay. And I think there's a sense in which sanctification is God's work, but he expects our cooperation. Like we have to cooperate with him in sanctification for him to do that completing work. And so we're commanded again and again to do certain things uh, in cooperation with the Spirit of God so that, so that we grow. And he's promised, if we will, that we will, we will be sanctified, we'll be victorious in the battles, that we can stand against the enemy, that we can be overcomers in the Christian life. But it, it requires our cooperation. And so um, sometimes he says, stand and stand still, and other times he says, move forward. And uh, it's important for us to be aware of what God is calling us to do in certain circumstances. It's disastrous if God says, to move forward if we stand still. And I would suggest it's also disastrous if we, we move ahead of God when, he's, when he said stand still. It's disastrous if the other is true, as if we, we uh, stand still when he's telling us to move forward. We need to be in cooperation with what the Lord is doing. Verse 18 says, Jehoshaphat bowed down with his face to the ground, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down, and they worshiped before the Lord. And then some of the Levites from the Kohathites and the 
the Korahites stood up and they praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. Early in the morning, they left for the desert of Tekoa and they set out. Jehoshaphat stood and said, listen to me, Judah and people of Jerusalem, have faith in the Lord your God and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets and you will be successful after consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army saying, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. This is like the, this is like the salvation verse of Israel is that give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. It doesn't say all of that there, but you get kind of the gist of that. And it's echoed again and again in the, the Old Testament. As they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Sire who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. The Ammonites and the Moabites rose up against the men from Mount Sire to destroy and annihilate them. After they had uh, finished slaughtering the men from Sire, they helped to destroy one another. When the men of Judah came to the place that overlooks the desert and looked toward the vast army, they saw only dead bodies. Uh, lying, lying on the ground. No one had escaped. So Jehoshaphat and his men went to carry off their plunder, and they found among them the great amount of equipment and clothing and also articles of value, more than they could take away. There was so much plunder that it took three days to collect it. On the fourth day, they assembled in the valley of Barakah. Um, that's a form of blessing, isn't it? Barakah, where they praised the Lord, and this is why it's called the Valley of Barakah to this day. Then, led by Jehoshaphat, all the men of Judah and Jerusalem returned joyfully to Jerusalem, for the Lord had given them cause to rejoice over their enemies. They entered Jerusalem, and they went to the temple of the Lord with harps and lyres and trumpets. The fear of God came on all the surrounding kingdoms when they heard how the Lord had had fought against the enemies of Israel, and the kingdom of Jehoshaphat was at peace, and his God had given him rest on every side." So tonight, as we look through this, we just we read the story, but I want to mention some principles. It looks like there's uh, about seven of them. Isn't that the perfect number? <laughs> seven of them. And here we go. Uh, the thing I, I would ask is, is if we're facing the problem, what what is our what, what are our eyes set upon when we're in the middle of it? The problem um, is it like focused upon that or is it focused upon ourselves? Sometimes I think when we get into the problem, we get our eyes off the problem and get our eyes on ourselves a little bit, and we start to have a little bit of self-pity, and we go downhill. And you know that self-pity feels pretty good for a little while, and then it gets old. So sometimes it's that. And another option is uh, we can have our eyes on others, like other people. We're expecting deliverance to come from them somehow. But uh, you see in this passage that Jehoshaphat, he doesn't exactly know what to do. And um, the first thing that he does is he puts his faith in God. And, and that's what I think is the point. The first point here is that faith turns first to God. Look at verse 3 and 4 with me here. Sorry, I got the unfortunate page, page break, so. Verse, uh, verse 3 and 4 says, all of these things happen. The nations are rising up against them. Verse 3 says, then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of uh, the new courtyard. Sorry, that's verse 5, isn't it? 
Verse 3 is, Alarm Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. And the people came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every corner of Judah to seek him. And so you see not only the singular faith of Jehoshaphat to say, hey guys, what we need to do is we need to focus upon the Lord during this time. But you see it collectively that they come together and they pray. We have need. I think it's important that not only we pray for the need, but we call upon others to do that too. You know, it's not the other people that are going to get the answer. It's God. But there's something about standing together that helps bolster our faith. And I think this is this is also in the design of the Lord is that he's uh, created the family where when we're weak in our faith, somebody else comes along and they can be strong in their faith. Um, probably you've experienced this a little bit. It's a lot easier to believe for somebody else's miracle than for your own. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like you're not in the thick of it. So we can trust God. We can ask him in great faith to do something for somebody else. Maybe because the pressure of our own situation isn't weighed upon us. But here, they collectively come together and they seek the Lord. They fast and they pray. They call upon Him. And so, um, the people come together and they seek help from the Lord. I don't know what those prayers look like. We get a hint at what um, Jehoshaphat's prayers look like. But I'd like you to notice the next thing that happens here. In verses 5 through 9, and I I read part of that already, but it says, Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the new courtyard, and he said, Lord, the God of our ancestors. What's the significance of saying that? God, God helped them, okay? And what's the connection there? Is it God of some distant people somewhere? What's the, what's the relationship of ancestors to children? There are forebears, right? And not only so, but the promise covenantally extends to them. Okay, This is, I think, a really important thing that sometimes we miss because we live in a culture where we're, we're very in the moment in a way. We don't think about the past so much. I don't think a lot of times we think about how we're part of a 2,000-year Christian tradition. And not only that, but we go back with the people of God to Abraham and Noah, that, that their story is part of our story. Does that make sense? And so by recognizing the God of our ancestors, oftentimes, how is this said in the Bible when it, it refers to the God of the ancestors? How does it sometimes say that? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We're recognizing that you're, it's, he's the God who's been faithful in the past, and he'll be faithful today. Okay, So he calls upon God and recognizes God of our ancestors. Are you not the God who is in heaven? Now, he's not simply asking a question here. He's, he's appealing to him. You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hands, and no one can withstand you. Our God, now, not just the God of our ancestors, but you notice this is personal. Notice, God of our ancestors, now, verse 7, our God. Do you see that? This is personal. It's not just, we're so glad that you are the God of our, our past and our history, and you've been faithful to the church through all these generations. My God, our God, you are uh, faithful to us as well. 
Did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it to uh, give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? Okay. Notice he is appealing. Jehoshaphat in his prayer is appealing to the purpose of God. It's a. It would be a questionable thing to say. God, you drove them out in the past, but you want them here now? Okay, you see what I'm saying? Is he's, he's recognizing God has done that for a reason. And if he's done that for a reason, will he not sustain that? Okay, he's appealing to the purpose of God in that. And he says uh, of our ancestor, Abraham, your friend, they have lived in it and they've built a, a sanctuary for your name saying, if calamity comes upon us, whether sort of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress, and you will hear us and save us. There's some kind of a, a confidence that's in this as he recounts in this portion God's work and God's words. Okay. That's really important in our prayer life is that we not just come with all of our emotions, but that we we have promises and the character of God and the uh, acts of God and redemptive history to appeal to when we pray, okay? God, you've saved us before, maybe even in this particular way. Let's say um, you're facing down some kind of a financial thing that you need God to come through on, okay? And so you're not sure how that's going to go, and in the moment, maybe a little bit of anxiety is beginning to come, and then you can think of probably, I don't know of any, any Christian that this is not true of, that God has provided for you in some way. Anybody have that happen before? God's provided for you in some way? And now uh, another provision miracle is needed. Couldn't we say, Lord, you've done this before and have our faith built as a result of that? That's what I think is happening here as he's recounting the works and the word of God. Um, he's thinking back to those things. And I think our, our prayers, when we pray them, one of the things that encourages our faith is to think about what God has done before and what he said, what he's done and what he said. Lord, if you're, if you're facing right now this challenge of maybe you feel distant from God, for example, um, you can appeal to the fact if he's saved you, that he saved you, and he's not saved you to abandon you. He saved you to walk with you and to, to ultimately bring you to his heavenly kingdom. So we can, we can appeal to those. And Jehoshaphat does that. Lord, these are threats. There's armies that are coming, and they want to push us out of the promised land. You gave us this land. You cleared this land out. Will you not come to our aid now and help us to maintain what you've given us? Because God is not only... Uh, able to give, but he's also to maintain what he's given. Amen. Thank God for that, right? It's not just about like he's powerful to save, but he can barely hang on to us as we walk with him. No, he's strong and he's able to do that as well. And so this is, this is Jehoshaphat's prayer. Faith not only turns first to God, but it recounts God's work and his words in verses five through nine. I'd like you to notice the next thing. And uh, sometimes you'll hear the opposite of this preach, but if you look at what Jehoshaphat does, you'll see what he do, what exactly it is that uh, that he's doing here. Faith is not afraid to name the problem. 
Sometimes you'll hear, don't name the problem, don't talk about the problem. Look at what Jehoshaphat does in verses 10 through 12. But now, Lord, here are men from Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned away from them, and they did not destroy We turned away from them, and they did not destroy them, our, for, our forebears. Verse 11, see how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as an inheritance. And then, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army uh, that's attacking us. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. So notice through that, there's a couple things that uh, Jehoshaphat says. First, he names the problem, which is an invading army. Okay, When you pray, don't make the problem your main focus, but you need to say what it is when you talk to God. Lord, this is the problem. I'm sick. I need you to heal me. Or I need your financial provision. Or, Lord, this obstacle that is in my family right now, here's what it is. You're not telling God anything he doesn't know, but what you may be doing is releasing that into God's hands by declaring what it is that you're asking him to deal with. Okay, So you put it in his hands. And then the other thing that it does here, like you to notice, Jehoshaphat doesn't claim some supernatural power on his own. He says, we are powerless to deal with this. What's he doing there? Because sometimes we've sung, uh, we've, we've sung this song many years ago about uh, something like that, like that we, without you, we're sinners, or without you, we, we stand in need. And somebody said to me one time, we shouldn't be singing that. And I thought, no, I think it's appropriate that we sing that, because what we're recognizing is that apart from him, we have no power to do anything. We have no power to live the holy life. We have no power to be overcomers. We have no power over Satan, except for that God has empowered us and he's with us. So this is what Jehoshaphat does. He, first of all, says this is the problem, and then he says we have no power to resolve this. That sounds pretty negative, but it's not because he knows where he's looking. And that's the next thing is that faith is not afraid to name the problem because it recognizes God is bigger than the problem. The solution is the Lord. The next thing in, in verse 12, notice uh, what he does. One of my favorite verses in all the Bible because there are times that we just don't know what to do. There's no, there's no book about it. There's no um, knowledge about it. Maybe nobody else has wisdom that speaks to that. Maybe we've never been through that in our experience. Maybe we've not exactly heard the voice of the Spirit on what to do on this, but there are times that we just don't know what to do, okay? And if that's the case, don't feel as though you're um, less than or inferior as a Christian. God always knows what to do. Do you believe that? That he always knows what to do. He always has uh, foresight. Do you know provision means to, that he sees ahead? Did you know that? When we talk about provision, it means that he, he sees ahead what the need is. So when God provides help, he sees ahead what that need is. He knows how to answer it. He has all wisdom, which is the appropriate application of knowledge. He has all knowledge, um, and he has all power. He's able to work on our behalf. So when we say, Lord, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you, that's a great prayer. That's a great prayer because what that also does is it takes the weight off of our shoulders and puts it on him, and he's able to bear that. 
That's what it talks about in Peter's epistle, isn't it? Cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. It's, it's learning to relinquish the burden and give it to God who can care and can do something about it. Faith then focuses on God. It turns first to God. It recounts God's work in words. It's not afraid to name the problem. And then it focuses upon God. And then I'd like you to notice in verse 13 through 20 that faith responds to God's word. Look at verse 13. Faith also responds to God's word. So now we're facing the problem and we pray about it. Do we just stop there and like, what if God gives us some direction in that prayer? Just go, well, I've prayed about it and now that's it. Or... Do we respond with it? I think true faith not only prays, but then when he speaks, we get up from prayer and we go forward and do what he's asked us to do. And verse 13 through 20 show us that. It says, All the men of Judah with their wives and children and little ones stood before the Lord. Um, then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, and all the other guys. He said, verse 15, Listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours but God's. Tomorrow march down against them. They will be climbing up the pass. See, God knew exactly what was going to happen in the future. This is foreknowledge. And you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jeruel. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your position, stand firm, and see the deliverance of the Lord will give you Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. So now the word has come. What happens if Israel doesn't respond? What happens if Judah doesn't respond to that? Is the victory theirs? <laughs> I, don't, I mean, that's hypothetical. We don't know. But it seems to me that God is asking them to do something. They respond. Verse 18, Jehoshaphat bowed down and with his face to the ground, and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down to worship before the Lord. And then some of the Levites from the Kohathites and the Korites stood up, and they praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a loud voice. Early in the morning, they left for the desert of Tekoa. This is obedience. As they set out, Jehoshaphat stood, and he said, Listen to me, Judah and the people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God, and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets, and you will be successful. And so faith then, in response to the problem, responds to God's word. And God's word came through the prophets. Do this, and you will be successful. I'd like you to notice the next thing here in verse 21 through 26, um, that Israel begins to sing. Look at verse 21. It says uh, there, after consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness. And they went out at the head of the army saying, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. Do you notice uh, what's happening here? When is this before or is this after the miracle? It's before, isn't it? They sing in the middle of that. And one of the important things about worship is that it can build our faith to face the problem. Okay, do you see what they're singing? Give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. Okay, his love endures forever. The faithful covenant love of God. This is probably here, Hesed, I would imagine, as it is in all the other places, his, which is a covenant love from a greater to a lesser. Okay, so he, he is showing covenant love 
to us. Give thanks to the Lord. And I'm sure they're personalizing this as they're singing it, that his love endures forever. His love that was there for Abraham is there for me. We need to pray and praise like that. In the middle of difficulty, we need to hear ourselves declaring God's goodness and his faithfulness. Do you agree? Like, don't wait till the miracle comes because God is faithful before the problem is resolved, and he'll be faithful after the problem is resolved. And these declarative things like that build our faith so that we can work through what God's asking us to do. Verse 22 continues that. They begin to sing and the praise. And the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. I'd love to tell you that it was because they were singing that God did that. I don't know if you can relate a cause there, but I say that as they're singing, God is doing the work. As they're singing, God is doing the work. We can say that definitely. The Ammonites and the Moabites rose up against the men from Mount Seir to destroy and annihilate them. After they finished slaughtering the men from uh, Seir, uh, they helped to destroy one, one another. And when the men from Judah came to the place that overlooks the desert and looked toward the vast army, they saw only dead bodies uh, lying on the ground. No one had escaped, so Jehoshaphat and his men went to carry off their plunder. And they found among them great amount of equipment and clothing and also articles of value more than they could take away. There was so much they could, uh, so much more than that, that there was so much plunder that it took three days to collect it. On the fourth day, they assembled in the Valley of Barakah, where they praised the Lord. And this is why it's called the Valley of Barakah to this day. And so I'd like you to notice here um, that they praised before the miracle and they praised afterwards. Okay, So sometimes we can get to the place where we experience the miracle, but we don't really praise God afterwards. We praise Him before because we want Him to respond, but we don't praise Him after. We, we should be praising the Lord all the time, before, uh, during, and after, because God is faithful and He's worthy of that. So you notice that they sang in the middle of the problem, and then verse 27 through 30, faith experiences the blessings that God intends. And so they were recipients of the great blessings that God gave. Verse 27, Then, uh, led by Jehoshaphat, all the men of Judah and Jerusalem returned joyfully to Jerusalem, for the Lord had given them cause to rejoice over their enemies. And they entered Jerusalem, and they went to the temple of the Lord with harps and lyres and trumpets. They went to church, folks, after the miracle, and they praised the Lord for it. And they declared great things, just as Jacob did tonight about how uh, God had given him favor in his uh, plane crash and how wonderful that is. They went and they praised the Lord. The fear of the Lord came upon all the surrounding kingdoms. So notice that as they were faithful and they responded, some of the things that were the blessings of faith is that God rewarded them with some kind of plunder, right? Like they're blessed in that way, and then they're blessed with the fact that um, they went away joyfully. That's a dispositional thing. Like when God comes through, when you've had faith, your disposition is joyful, right? That ought to be the case. And then not only that, but the fear of God fell upon the surrounding kingdoms when they heard how the Lord fought against them. And that's part of the blessing of the Lord. You realize that part of being in the promised land was that God was going to give them rest from their enemies on every side. And so this is what's taking place. This is something 
uh, a little bit like when it says of David, when God had given him rest from his enemies on every side. They were never intended to live in the land surrounded by Canaanites. They were intended to live in the promised land in the peace of God. And many times because of their compromise, they didn't do that. But here we're seeing an example of how they had faith in the Lord. They didn't know how to pray exactly, but they knew who to, who to call upon. And you don't always have to know how to pray. Do you know that prayer, how can I say this? Prayer requires of us a baby language. You know, if you're a parent, you probably understand this, that there may be um, with your kids certain ways that they cry. You just, you know what it is they need. Any parents say that that's probably true. You kind of know what it is that they need at that particular time. And sometimes the simplest things, like words that nobody else can understand, you know what they mean because you know how to speak their language. Uh, Isn't that true with our Heavenly Father that sometimes we put so much emphasis on praying eloquently with the right kind of words, and God can understand primal cries from us. And that's so important that if you're in the middle of something, sometimes all you have to pray is God help. And he knows exactly how to come into that because he knows before we ask what we need. And so some of these other things, they're part of our building of faith. Like when we call out to God and we pray, Lord, didn't you promise me this? Okay, that's not, that's not necessary to get an answer from God, but that may be faith building in the middle of our, our problem to, to pray that. Lord, you've promised this. Lord, you are good. You are Lord of heaven. Uh, you've brought us in for this purpose. Surely you've not abandoned us in it. Those are important things to pray. It's important to praise in the middle of this. But what I really wanted to get to at the heart of this is that God hears primal cries to him, and he understands us. And he knows how to communicate with us. And, and so many times we make prayer more complicated than it needs to be. God knows how to speak our language. Aren't you thankful for that? He knows how to speak our language. And not only that, he knows what we mean better than what our words say. Because sometimes we mix our words a little bit, don't we? Like we pray one thing, but we really mean another. He knows how to read our heart. And so God is able to hear us and to answer in the way that we need. Well, I just uh, I want to encourage us tonight, if you're in a moment where you're facing a, a problem of some kind, you may pray a simple prayer like, Lord, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Lord, I'm powerless. The problem's big, but you're bigger, and I trust you with it. And he will answer prayers like that. Amen? Amen. Stand with me if you would. And uh, I just want to ask, I'm not going to call upon you and ask you to describe what it is, but you say, I'm in the middle of a problem right now, and I'd like prayer. Anybody? Okay, Sandra, thank you. Anybody else? All right. Yeah, all right. There's a few people. Would you just go ahead and lift your hand for just a moment if you've done that? Let's uh, gather around uh, those that have their hand raised if you're standing nearby. Would you pray with them tonight? And we're joining together, and we're just going to pray for God's help in this. Thank you, Lord. Go ahead and just begin to pray. You can pray out loud and ask for a brother or sister for God to meet them. Amen. Thank you, Lord, that you know ahead of time what it is that we're facing. We 
Father, thank you that uh, it's reaching out to you and crying out to you. You hear us. And Lord, we more even than the answer to that, we want you to enter into our, um, in the midst of our problem, our difficulty, and that you would have your way. And, and we do pray that you would answer. We don't know what to do always, but you're the God who knows all, and you know the wise thing to do, and you can either direct us or you can accomplish it without our having to know all the details. And so we trust you with that. And Lord, we confess today that we are powerless without you, but you have all power. And we love you as our Heavenly Father, that you hear us in the simple ways that we pray. And so, Lord, we just pray, help, help us tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 God bless you. Um, We still have about 12 or 13 minutes before youth group and kids' church are let out. So if you're a parent, uh, stick in here. And if you're not, uh, God bless you. Thank you for joining us today. If this ministry has impacted you, we would love to hear about it. You're welcome to message us at akmaranatha.com forward slash contact or message us on Facebook at Maranatha Full Gospel Fellowship. We pray you're blessed by the message and have a wonderful week.